Soul Soul family and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week's episode is called Darvo. It's about this manipulation technique where it stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. It's this like I don't know, anyone who's been in a toxic relationship knows this, but it seems like all abusers kind of uh, act from the same playbook. Like, there is a foolproof technique that exists in the world, and all toxic people kind of do the same things. And and enough people have witnessed this and studied it and analyzed it where they figured out how to like spell it out to people who don't operate this way so that they can spot it when it happens and maybe save themselves a little time, effort, energy, struggle, confusion <laughs> because once you see it for what it is, it makes it really hard for you to fall for it again, which is why taking time and space after one of these relationships is so crucial or several (laughs) in some of our cases, um, why it's so crucial to take the time and space to heal because you need to make sense of it. Otherwise you're going to find yourself repeating these same patterns in different relationships. Um, so this tactic or technique usually comes about when someone is asking a toxic person to take accountability for their behavior. So being confronted with harm they did, um, it's kind of, I've seen people refer to this as like, what about ism where like you bring something to someone and you're like, Hey, this thing you did really hurt me. And I'd like to talk about it. And then the person, instead of being like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. I totally see where you're coming from. Um, I'm going to make sure never to do that again. And like, thank you so much for telling me, which is a, like a normal, healthy, loving response to boundaries. Now, let me, let me just like clarify that like to receive and respect someone else's boundary, like it doesn't have to be a thing that you feel a hundred percent super great about. Like nobody likes feeling like they fucked up. Nobody likes hearing that they hurt someone they loves feelings. Like it doesn't always feel great to receive someone's boundary. And like, if someone tries to lay a boundary with you and you don't always feel great about it, if it makes you sad, if it sends you into a shame spiral, like it's okay to have feelings. It's okay for this to be really complicated and it's okay to like take a second, you know, it's okay to not jump right to like, thank you so much for telling me I hurt your feelings. You know, it might take the span of like a full conversation or even several conversations to get to a place where you can feel really great about it. But what is super duper important is to not what about the person who's brave enough to bring a boundary to you, right? So what we're not going to do is be like, well, you, da 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 da. Well, what about when you, blah de blah de blah de blah, right? Because that's just being like a deflector. Like you're just saying, I'm not taking any of this in. I don't respect your feelings. I'm not acknowledging how courageous it is to bring up something like this. I'm not acknowledging that this is actually 
a really loving thing to do and shows me that you want this relationship to continue on. Like that's what a boundary is. A boundary is a loving gesture. Um, I feel like when someone really, really hurts you and has shown that they don't give a fuck about your feelings or give a fuck about your well-being or give a fuck about your boundaries, like it's personally or perfectly and personally reasonable to just like block, delete, unfriend, unfollow. I actually have a <laughs> an episode about this called block, delete, unfriend, unfollow. Where like, it's your prerogative, baby. It's your life. You have control over who comes in and who gets kicked out of it. And really, you can do that whenever you want at any time. Like, <laughs> I think for people who had traumatic childhoods, I talked about this a little bit last time. Like, when you're stuck in an unsafe place where you're being mistreated, like, you literally don't have a choice. You were born into these circumstances. You are stuck in them until you can get out, usually in adulthood, right? You get used to feeling stuck. Like, I think um, if you know about complex PTSD, there is this, like, it's not like regular PTSD, that's why it's complex, um, where you get like flashbacks. It's like very clearly like I was affected by this one experience and like I like I can point, pinpoint exactly this moment because it was like something very tangible that happened to me that traumatized me. A lot of people who have complex PTSD also have regular PTSD. Um, but it's a lot more like nebulous. And I like to think of mine as sort of like a cloud that comes over me or that I moved through life surrounded by where like it, it hazed my ability to see situations clearly on like many, many different levels. So, um, I might like, <laughs> I might feel stuck for the rest of my life, but I'm like disempowered. I'm unaware that I have a say in as an adult in what I stick around in. Maybe I'm like financially dependent on a toxic partner, so it's really hard for me to like get the resources I need to get away. Like maybe I'm stuck in a job that that sucks, that abuses me, that I'm not happy with because like I really, really need the money. You know, there's maybe I can't cut my family off because I'm really close to the kids in my family. You know, there's like all these reasons why you're stuck for sure. Like nobody's arguing with that stuck actually happens in life. But a lot of times like you have this melange of stuck because you only know stuck. Um, you don't know how to break free from something. You don't know that you have power in your own life. You have a say in where you go, what you spend your time and energy on. And so you go around feeling stuck because you have this haze of stuck from your childhood that's like tainting and coloring every situation you go into. That's why like self-empowerment, self-love, self-actualization, and like this idea that you are the creator of your own reality is super um, liberating and like has been really crucial on my journey because I was extremely disempowered. And because this Darvo thing happened to me from like early childhood, 
I was also kind of always confused about like what a good person was and what a bad person was and and like how my own individuation individuation if you don't know is like when you start to become like an individual away from your parents um a lot of toxic families have this thing called enmeshment going on which is where there's not a lot of boundaries where your parent you're one of your like you might have an an overtly abusive parent and then a covertly abusive parent so you have one where you're like i know that's bad this one uh, by comparison seems like angelic you know perfection my hero whatever but they might because they have an abusive partner and an unavailable partner they might put a lot of that energy into you as a child so like this happened with me where I was my my most safe caregivers like best friend therapist companion like little husband I just served all these roles for her and she really leaned on me in a way that was helpful as far as like feeling safe and feeling like I was receiving love but it was really hindering in the sense that I was never allowed to have a life I was never allowed to like even have close friends or prioritize my partners. Um, I did it anyway a lot of times, but not without putting up with tremendous amounts of like guilt and shame and discouragement and constant criticism and her always trying to drive a wedge between me and like anyone else in my life, like anyone else. And it's, you know, it's a really twisted way to interact with like, children who don't have freedom or like are learning identity or like they're just they're just naturally supposed to like grow apart from you I've I heard someone I can't remember who but like a spiritual teacher or like a healer or something say that parenthood is one of the like toughest relationships you'll ever be in because it's the only one where the goal is separation. You know, where like, if you do a good job, your kids walk away from you. They grow away from you. Not like forever, like cut you off, but that relationship you have in the beginning where they're totally dependent on you and they like love you unconditionally because there's this primal need there. Like that never exists in that same capacity again and I think a lot of people don't think like that like they don't think that one day this relationship is or or the whole way through this relationship is gonna change and evolve and like and this person's gonna evolve and I'm not gonna have such a tight grip on them the irony is and this is with all relationships. This is why every episode <laughs> I quote this Dr. Maya Angelou quote, which is love liberates, it doesn't bind. Because the great irony is the tighter you cling on someone, the more they're going to want to squirm. And the the more effortlessly and like freely you love them, the the more likely they are to stay. And a lot of this behavior comes out of the fear of being alone, which I think is like, if you could sum up codependence in like one phrase, that's what it is, right? It's like the fear of being alone. So you do anything within your power to 
to avoid that discomfort of like that experience. And, you know, I think it's so interesting the way that like abusive people and like people pleasers or codependent people are kind of two sides of the same coin. I think that's why there tends to be this draw between unhealed people on both sides of the spectrum and why sometimes it can be so murky when you're trying to figure out like which one you were in a dynamic, you know, because a lot of the core wounds are exactly the same. So all the behavior is coming from the same place. And a lot of the coping mechanisms are, can look very similar. Obviously, there's usually a person with more power who's doing more damage, but especially as the relationship goes on and you start to throw in things like reactive abuse, um, it can get very hazy and nuanced. And like <clears throat> for the untrained eye, it's, it's sometimes hard to figure out. And people tend to think like, well, the calmer person is probably the one who did less harm or like, I don't know, they they look for like a perfect victim. And a lot of times the the actual victim in the scenario is so emotionally dysregulated that they don't they aren't as appealing to like buy into as the victim. But that's exactly the sign that exists to show you like who's really pulling the strings here, who's really causing the harm. Why? Why? Why with the honking? So it all gets very confusing. And especially because this tactic exists. And this Darvo tactic, like as with everything being everything, you know, I have an episode called Everything is Everything if you want to hear more about this. But it's like what we do in our personal lives, it plays out politically. It plays out in our family dynamics. It plays out spiritually. Like Truly, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And if you want to hear more about that, you should go listen to that episode. But this exists like politically, just like it does interpersonally, where like imperialism, colonialism, fascism has inflicted great harm on the world. And there's certain countries that have been victims of of these sort of systemic machines for centuries you know people have been displaced attempted genocided some people have been genocided like lands have been taken over cultures have been erased people live in like constant states of survival mode because they're being bombed every day because they're being um you know, their resources are taken away or rationed or controlled. There's only so many places they can go. Like their movement is restricted. Their opportunities are restricted. And, and you know, when someone revolts or lashes back out, it's then the, the media at large, like the people with the power, the people with the loudest voice in the room tend to be like, look at these people, look how they're behaving. Like, how could we not punish them? How could we not limit them? How could we not like treat them other any other way than, than how we're treating them? Like, this is how they behave. And it's like standing up to someone marginalizing you is not the same thing as marginalizing someone. Like they're, they're not equal. It's just like someone abusing someone day in and day out, just wearing away at their self-esteem, wearing, wearing away at their 
autonomy and individuality, gaslighting them, making them question their reality, like getting away with the worst, most heinous mistreatment. And then the person who's taking it one day snaps and like calls the person a name or, or, or talk shit about them and they find out or like whatever, you know, has a snappy tone one day and they, and the other person gets their feelings hurt. Like usually it's kind of innocuous in the grand scheme of things. Like it's something that's very small, but sometimes these things can get, you know, someone who's hit all the time can hit back. Like these things play out again in very complicated and sometimes extreme ways, depending on the situation. But the, the, um, the weight or the gravity of like, of those two actions are not equal. Like reacting to someone abusing you is not the same thing as abuse. And that isn't to say that like, God, like I wish we could live in a world where everyone was peaceful, where there was no war, where like everybody got along and like give peace a chance. Like obviously, obviously like I am am in the camp that like I wish there was some kind of like world therapy resource where like everyone got therapy and it was all good and everyone had all the resource they resources they needed to take care of themselves and like our, our families didn't have to survive generational alcoholism or generational undiagnosed mental illness or generational PTSD from dads who went to war like I, I wish that none of us had to deal with this I wish that it could be a a loving world that's like operates like the leftist spaces I've been in like organizational spaces where like maybe it takes longer to come to a decision because everyone has to be uh in alignment and like we can talk things out and we can do harm reduction and we can like do mutual aid and make sure everyone's taken care of and we don't just like write people off because they're problematic or whatever that would be lovely and I think that's a world worth working towards but that is not the reality right now and to get there we have to have a lot of hard conversations we have to be able to identify when someone is doing harm we have to notice this darvo thing happening when it's happening and we have to be able to tell who's who's the bad guy in any given situation (laughs) and then move accordingly you know especially within our own lives, but like on the world stage as well, because, you know, we're at a point in history, like Pluto is about to go into Aquarius, um, which means the energy of the world is shifting. It means the way things have been done for some time are going to be uh, undergoing a necessary sort of restructuring and renovation. We're going to see like greed and wealth hoarding for what it is. We're going to see the like hate, fear and warmongers for what they are. We're going to understand that like, (laughs) you know, colonial ties to land are fucking bullshit. We're going to see a liberation on like a grand scale or, or if not the like, culmination of the liberation then then some real steps toward attaining that eventually and that doesn't look pretty you know that doesn't look peaceful it doesn't look like you know how looking back on like the civil rights movement right (laughs) today like in 2020 when we had all those 
protests and like uprising for the Black Lives Matter movement, although that had been going on for like many, many years before that. But it's sort of like on the relay race of civil rights for black people, especially in the United States, like that was a baton passing moment where like uh, a younger generation sort of realized what was going on and or not maybe not realized it, but got a little bit more elevated of a platform. Like with social media, we were able to swap stories and like, and really learn in a way that the generations before us didn't because this like access to the internet. I mean, you used to be sort of beholden to like what you learned in school. And public education is like very dependent on the area, like the person who's teaching it. There can be a very problematic spin put on information about the past and history and stuff. I mean, I read the other day that like most people younger than a certain age, like don't believe the Holocaust happened or think it was not as bad as it was. Like that is wild. So apparently people still struggle with um, getting the facts uh, right and like (laughs) truly understanding the context of history. But... It used to be way worse. Um, at least now, like, if you want to find, like, if you want to truly educate yourself, it's there for free, you know? And um, especially regarding, like, tapping into the humanity of, like, historically marginalized groups and and finding out firsthand, you know, reading firsthand experiences, reading how it is for certain people to move through the world, understanding how each of our experiences are different, understanding the overlapping Venn diagrams of privilege and how even within marginalized communities, there is sometimes attempts at oppressing other groups because you feel like that makes you safer or whatever. And... Um, unpacking all this is like really important and and the information is there and it's it's lovely to like figure these things out although it's like harrowing and depressing and brings up a lot of grief and anxiety and also just sort of like why are we like this as people but (laughs) but it's there and that's amazing um and we have a lot more awareness than generations before us and hopefully the ones that come after us will have more than we do because we've done the work and then we can pass that baton and someone else will carry it into the future. But, uh, you know, back then, you know, we, or I guess from the lens we look at the civil rights movement now, the kind of propagandized version of events is that like the people who were correct in their protests were the ones who were like peaceful and just let people like, fucking spit on them or spray them with fire hoses or beat them with batons if they were police or, you know, uh, just (laughs) people who took it and did not react in even like a, you know, the way that our bodies and our minds and our hearts want to react to someone treating us that way. They're the ones that just like held it together and like sat in and did it peaceful and didn't do it in a way that was like challenging to respectability politics respectability politics if you don't know is like is like when um people expect you to be like like a palatable ally or or someone who's like not uh like a bad representation of like your group 
or like your identity or whatever. Um, I've gotten this before with like, <laughs> like calling someone racist who's racist, right? Just being like, I see that you're fucking racist. And then I would get a message from someone being like, I really don't think that helps the movement. Like you catch more flies with honey or people being like, you know, you have to dress and look and behave a certain way or else people aren't going to take you seriously. Like you'll be a better representation if you do X, Y, and Z. And really what that is, is just like conditional love. Like that's saying if you don't, if you behave in a way that challenges me as an ally, then I'm not going to be on your team anymore. And it's like, you should be on the team because it's the right thing to do. You shouldn't be on the team because I'm making it comfortable for you to be on the team. Like, get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about showing up for someone else. And, and like, if you're an ally who can be alienated, then you're not a very good ally. Like, the cause is the cause, and you should be committed to the cause. Um, and respectability politics you know, they always, it's like having a conditionally loving parent or partner. Like there's a line that if you cross, my love will be taken from you. My support will be taken from you. I might run off and go fight for the other side and become like a fascist or, or a nightmare. You know, I might be one of these people on the internet being like, I used to believe in social justice, but now, and it's like, okay, people annoy you on like, on the right side of justice that doesn't mean you abandon ship um it's just a totally ridiculous uh way of operating and it to me it always screams that like this person hasn't unpacked enough and like this person is taking stuff personally that is not personal um but you know looking back on history or even the events of like very recent history or like what's going on in gaza like there is no such thing as a perfect victim. Um, the Even the stories they tell about people peacefully protesting or whatever, there will always be someone being like, that's my line. That's my respectability politics line. And like, I withdraw my support. And that person is being a radical or like, is just stirring up trouble or is making me uncomfortable. And now I have to like lash out at them or whatever. Um and I think with the way the energy of the world is going and it being just sort of like the way we've been doing things for some time is actually no longer sustainable. If we keep treating the earth the way we're treating it, if if wealth keeps, um, if this wealth disparity keeps growing the way it's going, um, there's no other option than like that tower falling, you know, that those man-made structures of like how it's always been done have no choice but to crumble because it's just not sustainable like we can't keep doing this forever and the more people are suffering the more likely they are to do something about it this happens in like abusive relationships all the time or just like regular life stuff you know it's actually not that likely that someone is going to make a change unless they are suffering enough that the situation becomes unbearable this is true with like jobs this is true with friendships this is true with like health stuff sometimes especially for people who have anxiety around going to the doctor and getting help for things like a lot of times we need to be very very uncomfortable in order to 
to embrace the discomfort of change. Like the discomfort and the unknown of the change has to be less bad than continuing with what we're doing. And it's not until you get practiced in the art of changing that you sort of gracefully surrender to the process of change. Um, And in abusive relationships, a lot of times, like it does have to get to a point where you're like, oh, actually I can't take this anymore in order to get off the the ride and decide being alone is better than this. And sometimes, you know, depending on the person, it takes a lot. And I just think that part of the growth process of learning how to take care of ourselves and especially how to get out of choosing partners and relationships and situations that keep us stunted, keep us stuck, keep us unhappy, keep us disempowered is being able to understand when something is not for our highest good, when something is not serving us. And I think that trickles all the way up to the powers and the systems that be. We have to recognize unfairness and injustice when we see it. We have to recognize the things that need to change. We need to understand that better is available. I mean, isn't that like, that's like the banner for for like why I stay in a problematic relationship or why I continue to choose unavailable partners or whatever it might be. Like, it's usually because I don't really know that there's better out there. Or even if I know it's out there, I think it's not out there for me. I remember looking at like, my one or two friends in happy relationships and being like, I'm so glad that exists, but clearly that's a them thing. Like that's not a me thing. I'm too damaged. I'm too this. I'm too that. Like that will never happen for me. I'm always going to be chasing someone unavailable. And, you know, eventually you have to kind of like take out that belief and examine it and be like, is this true? Why do I believe this? Like, why do I think I'm inherently unworthy? A similar thing I used to go through is when I was like first uh, dabbling in like body positivity and I would like look at all these, you know, fat bodied, like super empowered, sexy, like confident content creators on the internet and I'd be like these people are so amazing like I find them so beautiful so powerful like you know I I'm so into this on every level and but yet when I look at myself when I examine my own body I think that those feelings are not available to me that I still have to fix myself in order fix myself in order to I just did sarcastic bunny ears for the podcast (laughs) listeners instead of YouTube watchers, um, (laughs) there was still work I needed to do to earn those feelings, right? And then one day I realized, like, if I can give this, if I can, like, have these positive feelings towards other people, but I can't have them towards myself, maybe, maybe it's just in my head. You know, maybe this is something I need to work on internally instead of working on in my body. Real quick, we're going to take a break for some ads. We'll be back in a second. Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the Final Girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. 
Run. Don't walk. It's flight of the final girl. Anywhere books are sold. So, welcome back. <laughs> Let's get into it. So, deny. You know, this is where you work up the nerve to challenge a system or challenge a person that's hurting you. And you're like, here we go. I have enough info. I can go to this person and be like, this is the way you hurt me. And you're scared. You're like, oh God, I'm going to get rejected. Or like, you know, it's a tense thing to do. It's a very brave thing to do. So if you've ever even attempted it, I commend you because it's hard. <laughs> and and you, you hope for the best, expect the worst. You hope the person's going to receive it. You hope they're going to be like, oh shit, I didn't realize I was doing that. Like, let me think about this for a minute. Or even just like an explanation is fine. Like being like, oh, I totally see how you feel that way. And like, this is my, this is what was, what my intentions were. This is what I was hoping would come out of this. Like, this is why I behave this way, whatever. And uh, instead, what you get is like, that did not happen, right? Like the way you perceive things is not how it was. I didn't do it. Or if I did it, I didn't mean it. Or (laughs) if I meant it, you deserved it. Like that is the denial phase of this Darvo thing. And I mean, this is why like both in abusive relationships and in abusive systems of power, a big tactic initially is like dehumanizing. This is part of the nature of like propaganda in fascist regimes is like you need to run a smear campaign on on the victim so that they're dehumanized. Because if we're doing this to human beings, equals, you know, people with souls and like inner worlds and goals and dreams, then that's too much to handle. And we start tapping into our like compassion, right? And like compassion is sort of the enemy of war. You have to think that someone deserves this treatment in order to enact this mistreatment. And that's the whole point of this, like these misinformation and smear campaigns or like looking back on, you know, revolutionaries like Malcolm X or like Angela Davis and being like, but they were violent or they were they encouraged this or they said this or, you know, whatever. Or like calling someone a communist. It's like, don't tempt me with a good time. Like, what? Why is that like the ultimate insult for like bigoted like right-wing people is like you're a communist it's like and um anyway (laughs) so it happens in interpersonal relationships too where the person has to like has to chip away at the character of the person that's being mistreated even to themselves within this themselves because if they if they appreciated the humanity of like the person standing before them if they were really capable in their current state of functioning of love and respect and like um empathy then they wouldn't be able to treat someone the way they're treating them so there has to be like a knocking off on the pedestal there has to be a like a running um fucking excel spreadsheet of like (laughs) slights done by this person harm caused by this person And usually it's like incredibly petty or like, 
Or sometimes it's accusing the person of doing what the harm causer actually is doing. So it's like when there's cheating going on in a relationship, the the cheater, ironically, tends to be really paranoid about the other person. So like they'll they'll look through your phone, they'll like track your location, they'll always be accusing you of stuff. They'll, you know, they're super jealous to a point of like pathologically jealous. They're obsessed with the idea that like you might betray them in this way. And and a lot of times they're the ones doing it. They're just projecting their behavior onto you. And it's really like nonsensical in a way because it's like if you're doing it, you can't really expect like unwavering loyalty and (laughs) commitment from a person that you're like actively cheating on. But somehow they do. Um, and it's really fucked up. Like it's heartbreaking to, to go to the point of like, I need to lay a boundary with this person. I need to like express that I was harmed because I can't get past it. Cause like, you know, if you, when you go towards like, okay, it's time to lay a boundary, which happens in healthy relationships all the time. Like boundary laying is a necessary um, at times uncomfortable, at times challenging thing, but like it is a, a, um, a building block on like the foundation of a long-term relationship. Like there's going to be times where you step on each other's toes, step on each other's toes. There's going to be times where you accidentally violate someone's boundaries. There's going to be a time where like, it's like, oh, we never discussed this thing. And like, now we need to discuss it. Or where you change your mind and you need to tell the person. Like all this stuff is normal. Um, A perfect, (laughs) healthy relationship is a relationship with ups and downs and boundaries and discussions and like hurt feelings and fixing it. I mean, there's a difference between like malicious intent and just being a flawed human. Uh, and all of that requires like extreme vulnerability, honesty, and, and like open communication. So it's, it's a gift actually. It's someone being like, I want this to continue on. I want to continue knowing you and being close to you and letting you close to me. But in order for that to happen, I need this thing to happen. I need to feel safe here. I need to feel respected. I need to feel taken care of. And I'm giving you exactly what I need you to do in order to facilitate those feelings for me. And the person is just like, fuck your feelings. Like, I don't care about that. My ego is too fragile to handle this conversation. I don't want to be told that I'm doing anything wrong. And like, I think anyone with trauma around like perfectionism or being a, a, a good person or like criticism, you know, wounds around criticism has those same feelings. It's just like, it's okay to have these feelings. It's just what you do with it that makes it toxic or not, right? I have those feelings. Anytime anyone has laid a boundary with me, I get super triggered. I might cry. I might need a couple hours to like process it. I might, well, it used to be a couple hours. It's now like maybe 10 minutes. I just need like a little time to be like, okay, let me get my head around this. 
let me like separate my feelings from like the truth of the situation. Let me figure out what I can and can't work with. You know, there's a lot of processing that goes on in, in this. And it isn't always, like I said at the beginning, like sunshine and rainbows and just like, I love this boundary. <laughs> it's uncomfortable, dirty work, but it is beautiful work. And, and the more you can respect other people's boundaries, the more you feel comfortable laying yours. And it honestly like just uh, creates this amazing intimacy that is (laughs) like the secret to feeling belonging, the secret to to keeping that inner child safe um, and to feeling really close to the people around you. It's, It's a gift all around. It's just messy getting to the point where you can be grateful for it. So when someone is like not even willing to look at it, not even willing to work on it, instead just wants to tell you what you've been doing wrong and not in a productive way, in a way that's like holding up a mirror and like you say the thing and it's just like reflects off of them and goes back to you. It's, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not productive. It's, it's like intentionally stonewalling. It's stopping the conversation in its tracks because it's like the person's not going to be able to receive anything. And then we get into the attack. So like we denied, we're deflecting, and now we're on the attack. So we're saying, well, you, and here's all the things wrong with you. Let me pull out my Excel spreadsheet and read you every little thing you've ever done. That one time you didn't hold the door open for me. That one time you didn't text me back for 10 minutes. This time that you, you know, I'm accusing you of flirting with my friend or like, or with parents, you know, this time you slighted me by coming, trying to come out of the closet or, you know, here we go. The petty shit getting into the nitty gritty of like, what a terrible person you are to me. Why do I keep you around? Like you don't deserve me actually. And now we're, we're back into our comfortable place. Like you're no longer an equal to me. Like you came into this conversation attempting to be an equal, attempting to have like a mature uh, dialogue about our relationship, but now I'm like poof, 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 knocking you down to size. I'm taking my power. I'm showing you how much I have and I'm challenging this interaction. I'm challenging your autonomy. I'm challenging your feelings of even being hurt. You're not even entitled to them. You take everything so personally. Why are you so sensitive? I can't even make a joke. Why don't you just give me a list of all the things I can't do and say since you're so sensitive? You know, and and then we start getting on the like attacks on character and just like, you know, usually by this point in my experience, I shut down. You know, when I was, whether I'm like, healing me or pre-healing me, this is the point where I would shut down. Used to, this would send me into like fawn mode where I'd be like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I was just confused. You're right. You do everything right. I love you so much. Like, I don't want to lose you. I want to do everything I can to keep you. I didn't mean to hurt you. That's what would happen to me. It would like trigger my fawn response. Some people might have a fight response where they're they're like, okay, you want to go? Let's go. (laughs) And then it's a battle. And sometimes I think when we Um, are in an unhealthy space, like that battling, that fighting of like, nobody's leaving, but it's not good, but it is like passionate is what we tend to call it. Cause that's sort of the narrative we're sold by like 
the Disney Hollywood standards of like, if you're not yelling and screaming at each other, do you even really care? Um, and some people get stuck in that cycle where it's like, if we're fighting, we know we love each other. And that's the only way we know we, we love each other. I heard someone on a podcast I listened to earlier this week say, if you have no chaos in your life, you're probably boring. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> no. Oh, I mean, maybe like maybe, maybe people with no chaos in their life are very little, drama are boring maybe I'm boring but I I call it stable <laughs> and I guess everyone's entitled to their opinion but that type of tumultuous where everybody's in fight mode like often what you need is someone who won't push those buttons who won't trigger you into fight mode or doesn't do it so often that you can differentiate between like when you need to fight and when you're just walking through life with your fists up ready to go at a moment's notice and that's the thing with like being stuck in kind of a tumultuous um uh, high stress high conflict relationship is that it you're triggered constantly like that CPTSD melange, that fog that you see the world through, like not only are you dealing with that and working with that, but also it gets thicker and murkier by the day because someone is adding to that trauma, you know, like the, it just keeps getting piled on, making the way harder and harder to see. But when you give yourself a calm life, when you pick the weeds in your garden and you create stability and softness and love and respect for yourself, even if it's on your own. Like, please, please, please don't be afraid of stepping out on your own and taking care of yourself and laying those boundaries. Even if it's, even if what you have to contend with is like a, a loneliness that is so big that it causes physical pain. I have been there, but it is better to be in that space than it is to be putting up with abuse. It just is. And like, I know it might not seem like it, but just allow that to plant a little seed because everyone deserves to be treated with love and respect. Everyone deserves to feel safety. And healing will change your life in like ways you can't even imagine right now. <laughs> but you need to give yourself a break from more trauma being added on in order to be able to tell the difference between like a stable you and a triggered you or someone mistreating you. Because I get triggered all the time, but nobody's mistreating me. Like nobody is traumatizing me currently, but that doesn't stop me from being triggered. The difference is now, instead of like stuffing down my feelings or being like, that's not acceptable, or accidentally taking it out on someone else, these days I can be like, I'm really triggered right now. <laughs> and just like ask for reassurance or like talk through the problem I'm having and, and get myself out of that spiral and into a place where I'm like clear-headed and can really process the situation properly. But you can't really see the forest for the trees when there's trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. You know that that quote, like, you can't heal where you got sick. Like, it's not just saying the initial place that gave you the wounds in the first place, but it's also saying, you know, the way that we manifest 
like karmic copies of those initial wounds over and over and over again. It might be a different person. It might be a different place. But if the vibe is the same, um, it's going to be really, really difficult to heal. So then we get to reverse victim and offender. And this sort of, you know, as I talk about the steps, all the steps kind of unfold. But this is when we start to get victim blaming. You know, when (laughs) I keep thinking about the show Vanderpump Rules, like (laughs) spoiler alert for for anyone who hasn't watched um also like apologies to anyone who doesn't care but but I keep thinking about this guy Tom who cheated on his partner of 10 years with this younger woman who um who like was really lost at the time and had just gotten out of an abusive relationship and was like manipulated by him into thinking that they had this like special powerful connection and she was like a friend of his partner they were in the same friend group and and they had an affair for I don't know anywhere from seven months to two years it's hard to say (laughs) but but you know his the girl he cheated with ended up going away and getting help and getting therapy and the one he was in a relationship with ended up taking care of herself and this guy is left with the fallout of his life and instead of being like I really fucked up like I was going through a midlife crisis I was going through a lot and I didn't know how to deal with it and and instead of dealing with it like a healthy functional person I just like partied a lot and made this huge mistake and like tanked my life and all my friendships and now I've got some stuff to work on and that's sort of what the girl that he had the affair with is doing Instead, he's like, actually, I'm the victim. I'm the victim of the person I cheated on because she did all this stuff that made me cheat on her. And I'm a victim of the girl that I cheated with because she was like a a young temptress who like seduced me into doing bad things or whatever. And it's like, that's, that's the Darvo, right? It's being like, actually... I'm the victim in all this, even though I caused all this chaos. It was my poor choices that led to the destruction of my entire life and hurt everyone I know, but I'm really the victim in all this. And anyone who's dealt with someone who operates this way, um, it's extremely like um, dysregulating. Like It's so hard to deal with, especially if you're susceptible to gaslighting. And if you have trauma around being gaslit, you're probably susceptible to it. I talked a little bit last time about like, I can handle this syndrome, which is where you're like, sure, this is an ideal, but I can handle it. (laughs) Where like, no, you can't. Like, I hate to break it to you, but you shouldn't have to like handle it. It should be good. Like there are good relationships in the world. There are like happy experiences. There's so much beyond just like, shacking up with whatever loser comes along and just like making the best out of it um working with not ideal circumstances like there is better available period even if the better that's available is just like you venturing out on your own for a little bit you don't have to handle it but but um I don't know just growing up if you grew up with gaslighters you may not ever be like 
great at navigating gaslighting. You might not ever be great at seeing it for what it is. Um, I have sharpened and honed my discernment like it is you could slice a pea on that, you know, you could, you could slice a pea into slices with my discernment, but I have to be very careful about who I let around me because I have proven to myself time and time again that I fall for gaslighting. Like it affects me very deeply and it triggers me in ways that I don't notice. It takes me a long time to figure it out. I'm very quick to like I don't know, to just get mixed up in a bad situation. And so I have to be very careful about who I let around me. It doesn't mean I'm not smart. It doesn't mean I'm not healed. It just means that it's a wound for me. And it's even more reason to be discerning, right? To know this about myself. It's not an admission of like defeat or failure. It just means that it's been done to me a lot. And I have this willingness to believe someone else over my own intuition and my own body sometimes and I work on it by keeping people around me who don't do it so that I can get used to this way of being and hopefully one day I'll be able to see it right away you know but today is not that day (laughs) 10 years into my healing journey like I still have a hard time with it so if you do like don't be embarrassed about it it's just and the nature of the circumstances you came into this life dealing with. And it's okay. It's just like a thing that needs to be worked out and all the more reason to be really picky about who you let into your energy. So if you're experiencing this, understand that reactive abuse is not the same thing as abuse. Anyone who is poked and pushed and whittled down to like their most raw vulnerable selves and kicked when they're down and controlled and manipulated and like had someone been paranoid over your every move and like just the the reality of being in an abusive situation even systemically is so unbearably painful like it's so difficult to live through it's so it wears on you on every level like emotionally physically spiritually mentally it just breaks you down and when people are in a state of like this kind of dysregulation they don't always respond in the most appropriate way like they aren't always the most palatable people it does make people difficult to deal with like it it is what it is like you can't just you can't treat people any old way and expect them to put up with it indefinitely and just always be full of grace and forgiveness and just be like oh sure whatever you say whatever you need I'll do it like that's unreasonable and people who expect that expect there to be no consequences for their actions expect people to not stand up for themselves are people that need time and space to figure their shit out like they they need to not be inflicted on anyone until they can act better till they can learn better and do better and if they're not willing to do that then they need to stay far away from people who have good intentions who are doing their healing work who are just wanting to be like a source of love and light in the world and Um, They definitely shouldn't be holding positions of power or making 
world decisions that affect everybody in existence. Um, they shouldn't be entitled to like steal people's land or, <laughs> or bomb countries or withhold food from people. You know, like we shouldn't be listening to people who don't have empathy. What would the world look like if we prioritize people who had overwhelming empathy? Like, what if we just turned this whole system on its head and we were like, actually, the people that we want to lead are the people who can respect everyone's humanity, who can make decisions that are like from a loving place, that are sustainable, that are like well thought out, that are with the idea of like abundance for everyone involved. What if we upheld the people who um, were interested in the good of everyone instead of just the good for a few? What if we stopped rewarding low empathy people with like power and opportunity? What if we were there for each other? What if we didn't expect everyone to behave totally appropriately at all times and we could like notice the signs of when someone was being harmed or when someone was in a in a state where they needed help or mutual aid or support what if we had structures in place where like everyone's mental health was taken care of and physical health were taken care of what if everyone had a roof over their heads what if everyone had food and water and community you know <laughs> like what if what if what if like we could do things so differently we could get out of this cycle of like trauma and abuse that we're in on an interpersonal level within ourselves and also on a global like and spiritual universal scale. This cycle of karma is tired. It is old. Like we need to try a different way. Just because we've always done things a certain way doesn't mean we always have to. You can revolutionize at any time. You just have to be willing to. You know, you have to be willing to do the work. You have to be willing to look in the mirror. You have to be willing to admit when you were wrong or admit when you were harmed. There is vulnerability in this. There is like a daring to dream. There is a necessary willingness to like imagine better. And there is a feet on the ground like realness that needs to be the foundation of every decision made where you can see things really clearly. And in order to do that, you have to heal. You have to work on it. You have to look at your stuff and you have to sometimes, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on where you are in your journey, have to recognize that when someone's pulling this shit, when someone is doing this to you, that they need to be removed from your life. Like they're not a safe person to be around. And that doesn't mean that they're like terrible or beyond help or that they're always going to be this way. But it does mean that it's really none of your business. That like who you have to take care of in your, is yourself. And I don't mean that in like a capitalist way where like fuck everybody else and you need to hoard resources and like be selfish and go out and like step on people to get where you're going. It means that when you are in a space of true self-love, 
you pour love more freely. Like you just, you lead with love everywhere you go. You respect yourself so much that you respect everyone around you. You understand your trauma and your behaviors and your coping mechanisms so deeply that seeing everyone else's becomes really clear. And this just puts more patience, understanding, compassion out into the world, which makes the world a softer place. People see you behaving that way and they're like, that person's got some kind of magic going on and I want a little piece of that for myself. And then you inspire more and more people and then ripples in a pond before you know it, the whole vibe of like the earth has shifted and everything is so different than what it used to be. And I guess like to wrap it all up, um, we need to be able to imagine better. Dare to imagine better for yourself. Dare to imagine a place where you're happy, where your needs are met, where you feel fulfilled, where you're treated with kindness. Like it's available. I used to think it wasn't available and I have it. Like I live it every day. And I want this for everyone. This is what I, this is why I do this podcast. This is why I'm obsessed with healing. This is why I make the art I make because it feels so good to be in this, to feel so taken care of, to feel so loved, to feel so respected, to give myself what I need, to have stood up to people who hurt me. Like it feels so good, better than I ever could have imagined that I want everyone to have a little piece of this. So if you're listening, if you're stuck in the muck (laughs) of the bullshit, if you're dealing with the Darvo, if you're questioning your place in the world or why the world is the way it is, um, I just encourage you to dream of better because it's out there. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit-Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find... Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology and you can also access my self-love course which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself there are journal prompts guided meditations self-care rituals letter writing assignments and a whole lot more Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. 
Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.